standpoint, I got into it looking at sustainable building for the same reasons. Um, unfortunately, the human race has done an awful lot of damage to this planet. And I'm not saying hemp is the panacea that will solve everything, but it is a huge step in the right direction. Uh, the more places that, you know, I'm not saying there's no use for a cotton industry, but let's face it, we're using, importing water to grow cotton. Um, hemp takes one ninth the amount. Hey guys, it's Mandy with Global Hemp Association. I wanted to say thank you so much for joining. I'm excited about the opportunity to build a relationship and connect this supply chain. I mean, after all, that's why we started the association. Our association was built on the foundation of connecting supply chain, building relationships, and helping you grow your business. Anyone from farmers, manufacturers, and distributors, people that are passionate about the supply chain, and those creating products selling into biofuels, plastics, textiles, construction, and building materials. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm really excited to have our guest today. Dave, I'm excited to have you on to share what you guys are doing and tell a little bit about your background and how you got into this. How did you start in this industry? And tell me a little bit about your company. Okay. Um, for starters, um, <laughs> I, 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 I have been following hempcrete building, sustainable building um, for many years because I would like to build my retirement uh, home uh, sustainably. Um, I live in very rural, way up north, uh, 300 kilometers north of Toronto, and uh, it's God's land up here. It's beautiful, um, but uh, I don't want a cookie cutter house. I want something unique, and uh, and that was how I got into it. Um, I was looking to do a budget for building my hempcrete house and found out that I, I couldn't buy the hemp herd without importing it from a very far away place and thus nullifying the true sustainability of the program. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was working as an account manager for a large global audiovisual firm. We, we did uh, everything from Billy Graham and Mother Teresa to Bill Clinton and, and lots of big, big things. Um, when COVID hit last March, um, it took three days from the first cancellation to a complete shutdown, and mm -hmm. it has never come back. My career ended last March because of that. And in looking for another career, I thought, well, what am I going to do? The big industries where I live are forestry and mining, which I'm, I'm, I don't believe are being done sustainably, and I don't want to be part of it. And I thought, if there's some way I can turn my passion for hemp creek building uh, into a career, um, and I started looking for companies that uh, could use my help. I've always had the gift of gab. I've always been able to uh, put my best foot forward, so to speak. And uh, I discovered uh, Bruce Ryan and Canna Systems probably just about a year ago to the day. Um, we started talking, um, and it took till September before we had a, an actual agreement and and I started working um, it then took uh, you know you think you take a sales job you go in in day one and make a phone call and hey do you want to buy this well no it <laughs> <laughs> uh, I spent the first two months just doing research studying everything I could learn about the hemp industry um, and it, I'm still a newbie but it, after two months I started making telephone calls and six weeks later I mostly by fluke, sold my first machine. Um, and uh, I've since sold another one. And I have... Uh, can you know, I, 
Can yeah. you share where in the air, like, are they in the United States? Are they no. in Canada? Where, no, I, where in the region or area are they? I, I would like to sell more in North America, but I will admit that I have had more traction abroad. My first sale was to New Zealand. My second sale was to South Africa. Um, and I have four or five more that are sitting on the fence and, and a couple of them are American. So I'm really hoping to have an American presence soon. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's funny, our machine, the R2 decorticator was really designed with the Canadian market in mind. Where, and, do, you uh, think, where do you think the advantage is? I guess finish first and then I'll ask. Well, yeah. I mean, we, we designed the R2 um, because in Canada, hemp has been legal since 1998, and the industry that has grown up is based on hemp as grain or seed. Yeah. And so we designed the R2 to allow people to grow a dual purpose for grain or seed. Um, and that would mean, you know, eight foot tall plants. Once you cut the tops off and cut them a foot off the ground, you end up with four foot stalks, which are the perfect length for baling and, and inputting to our machine. And we thought this is a no brainer. They're already making a living with the grain. They'll be able to add this and generate three or four revenue streams where there used to be only one. Uh, but the other thing I found about, uh, especially Canada, but but North America in general, is that um, it's harder to find people who are willing to be visionaries and do something new. Um, and we are a startup company. Um, we have yet to ship a machine as soon as we get the uh, balance of the down payment from the two customers that I've already sold. We will start building them. Uh, I expect that to be in a week or so. Uh, mind you, I expected it to be in a week or so, two months ago, um, <laughs> but we are getting closer. Um, and uh, the bottom line is that uh, uh, people abroad, for whatever reason, I don't know, seem to be quicker to go, you know, that's a great vision and I want to be part of it. And I'm really hoping that somebody in the US or Canada hears me say this and says, wait a minute, I'm a visionary too, and gives me a call. Um, <laughs> so what, what do you suppose the benefit is to places abroad compared to the US? Why do you think you're getting traction there? Well, I, I would say two reasons. And the first one, I think I already covered. So to add to that, um, I've been lucky enough to find companies that have a holistic vision from, from seed genetics right to the end use. So they don't have to find buyers for their herd and fiber. They're making um, socially affordable housing and working with governments. Um, they don't have to find people to grow the hemp because they already have the land there. You know, um, they don't have to find people to be involved in the industry because they're doing everything themselves. So that's one reason. Um, but I do have uh, other people. I have one Canadian prospect who has a similar vision, uh, but hasn't been able to get the financing to pull it off. So, you know, we'll see what happens. There's a lawnmower right outside my door, if you can hear him. I can't. Okay, good. Mind you, good. I spent... Uh, 40 years playing loud rock and roll. There's a lot that I can't hear. <laughs> okay, well, I don't know if anybody else will hear because it's like, like, oh, perfect timing, buddy. Thanks. <laughs> um, so um, I, I'm wondering too on scale. Can you tell me a little bit about? So the D2 is a decorticator. The R2, but R2. Ha! 
See, I get stuck R2-D2 ever since yep. Curtis made that joke. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's how I remember. Okay. Just, so. just to muddy the water, uh, when Canif Systems first started and they hadn't designed their own decorticator, their first attempt was to import the D8. So now we have the R2-D8. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, um, it's D8 forever will be a tarnished name. Yes, I know. <laughs> In the industry right now. I understand. And thankfully, we didn't go down that path. And we designed our own and, and we've uh, our tests um, show incredible results. Uh, speaking to scale, as you asked, um, yeah. we've consistently hit uh, two tons per hour, maybe a bit better. Um, assuming the input to be large round bales, of unreaded stock dried to between nine and 15 percent moisture. Um, our machine has uh, done very well with green stock and redded stock, but the throughput that we are standing behind is based on large round bales of dried stock. Okay. Um, and uh, it, in terms of scale and how that fits into the industry, I think it's really important. Um, I have, uh, and this is another North American phenomenon. So many people seem to think that you have to have a $25 million plant and thousands upon thousands of acres to make anything worthwhile. And let's face it, that's not how North America was built. Our manufacturing industry comes from people starting small, you know, originally blacksmiths and, and more recently machinists and tool and die makers making something and building a market slowly and growing into those large situations over a period of time. And, and that is what we're hoping to help people achieve with the R2, both due to, you know, two tons an hour is nothing to, to sneeze at, but it also doesn't compare with the $25 million, million plant that'll do 50 tons an hour. Um, it allows a person for, on a, on a limited budget, um, our machine, I'm not, I don't wanna make it sound like uh, coffee and donuts, but it is well, low priced for the industry. Well, and I think what I see as such benefit and where I hear every time we're in our meetings is, you know, there's a huge amount of discussion about how we service rural America and how we service our rural areas, not just America, all over the world, right? Um, and I think that there's a disadvantage to these massive facilities in the sense that transport transportation is not realistic. We can't do it, right? And every time I talk to somebody about business, about how do you build this industry? What do we do? You know, it always goes back to find something local that you can serve. And this is an opportunity where we can grow, process, and create product within local rural areas or within a, a city, even like Salt Lake, where we may not have a hundred thousand acres, you know, that we're growing for a massive facility. And I think that even that being said, like you, like you said, everything starts, start small. Why are we going in and saying we're going to dump in $50 million to turn around and have another failure or another bottleneck at the processing, just like we did in extraction? Yes, exactly. I think it is a North American failing that it's go big or go home. And, uh, Hopefully there's enough people that uh, hear this message and go, wait a minute, I, I can find a few hundred acres of hemp growing um, and I can start my business hundred, with an R2. A few hundred is a lot, you know, from what I've seen or some of these processing facilities, uh, I mean, they're not, uh, I shouldn't say it's a lot, 
But some of these processing facilities, when I talk about end product, what they need in order to create their end product is not what I thought about the 50,000 or 100,000 acres. A lot of them are only at 100, 200, 500 acres. And so, you know, that's really where we're sitting in a facility like yours or a machine like yours is able to accommodate some of these hemp wood or hemp or hemp building materials because, yes. you know, and then being able to separate them, remove them is yeah. when I say um, move, I mean, create facilities within say 50 to a hundred miles apart so that you can feed maybe one supply chain, but. Yes. Yeah. Well, enter the mobility factor. Okay. Um, you know, I, it, I have uh, profitability calculations based on a single grow per year, 250 acres. Now, it, in some parts of the U.S., you get more than one grow per year. year, And so even two grows halves the required acreage. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm talking about is keeping our machine busy for a, a, enough of the year so that it pays for itself in two years or less. Um, and that magic line on a single grow per year is about 250 acres. Um, Now, it's still profitable if you only have 100,000 acres, but it will now take five years to pay for the machine instead of two. Um, So anyway, um, I have actually prepared a a version of the profitability calculation uh, in a PowerPoint. Um, I want to go on record as saying that... um, Prices that I'm quoting for the purchase of, of, of raw fiber or raw herd are merely an amalgamation of what people have said to me. Uh, I strongly suggest that anyone seriously considering this have a business plan in place, have end use manufacturing people tell you what they will pay because it's all over the map. And I'm just yeah. sort of using the best known averages that I have. Mm-hmm. They're not quotes or guarantees that you will get X dollars per ton of herd or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are, do seem realistic based on the people that I've spoken to in the last year. Um, this particular PowerPoint is based on a single grow on 500 acres. So in this one, in this scenario, the machine is paying it for itself in less than a year. Um, but as I said, whatever the acreage is, um, multiplied by how many grows you have per year, depending on your environment. Um, these numbers are, are all correlated. And as I said, even with 100 acres or, or, or 100 acres with uh, three grows a year equals 300 acres in Canada. <laughs> no. Um, Things I want to know is you said about the Alliance program. I want to understand what collaboration looks like, what 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 are you seeing as far as projection of how to roll out the industry um, especially, you know, what type of model, business model works best, or what are you see, what are you seeing from people? Okay, so um, I've made no secret that we are a startup. If yeah. I had a hundred machines out there producing two tons an hour, my sales job would be really easy. Um, but I don't. It's more what you expected, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, the, uh, the reality is we have built a prototype. We have tested the prototype. We know the machine works. Um, we consider the Alliance our final R&D stage. We're going to hand build the first 10 machines and we are going to work with the buyers of said machines to make any adjustments, any refinements mm-hmm. to ensure that it is working as spec'd. 
and that it's doing the job that our customers want it to. It's our feeling that by putting 10 machines in 10 different environments, 10 different cultivars, 10 different planting densities, 10 different harvesting techniques, that we are going to discover uh, most of, if there are any, Achilles heels to our machine. We'll be able to make those refinements free of charge to the people that had the vision to stand with us at this stage in our development. And then we will be able to take our final design and move to mass production. Um, our intent is to be in mass production in 2022. Um, okay. So in exchange, now I've said what our benefit is to the Alliance. Mm -hmm. Why does a customer want to be part of that Alliance? Right, right. Well, for starters, they get a 30% discount on the purchase price. That 225, our suggested retail is 330,000 USD. So it's a radical discount on the first machine. It also guarantees you wholesale farm dealer pricing for future purposes. So as your business grows, you hit a point where two tons an hour is not enough. You buy a second R2 um, and you continue to get that wholesale pricing. It does not make you a dealer. It just gets you dealer pricing. Okay. Now, there will be a dealer process that we'll be setting up over the next year. We fully expect some of our Alliance members to want to become dealers. And as long as they get through our vetting process, um, so it's sort of halfway to becoming a dealer, if you can put it that way. Mm -hmm. Additionally, um, our CEO, Bruce Ryan, has 25 years plus in the cannabis and hemp industries. Mm -hmm. um, we have a database, many contacts all over the world. We're happy to share um, with any one of the Alliance members. Uh, you need to find a farm that's growing hemp that's close to you, or you need to find uh, an end user that will purchase your product. Um, I'm not saying we have the answer for everybody, but I am saying we're willing to use uh, global contacts built up over 25 years to help anyone finish their business plan um, that is going to stand with us at this point in our development. Um, so it really is a collaborative approach. Let's, let's make this industry work. You know, I quoted uh, Forsberg machines in the PowerPoint. I don't get a kickback if Forsberg sells a machine. Uh, we're not looking for that. Uh, I'm sure there are other aspirators that will clean dust and fiber from herd. I'm sure there's other ways to do it. Merely suggest one example of what would work. Mm -hmm. And that kind of collaboration, I'm not just going to sell a machine and say, hey, go figure out how to clean the herd, go figure out how to cut right. the fiber and you're on your way. I'm right. going to say- Because then it's not worth anything, right? I mean, this is what we right. ran into in the extraction space. Here we have a ton of crude, now what? Yeah, yeah. Process it, or where do you take it from? flour to extracted products, right? Yeah. yeah I, I that at your, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to put anyone down who's uh, who's staked their livelihood on, on CBD or, or, or any other cannabinoid, um, but it really does amaze me. I belong to many, uh, many groups and I get many newsletters and my inbox is flooded every day and it's 80% about CBD and other cannabinoids. And to me, that's just not where the value of this plant lies. Um, it is sexy, right? Nutraceuticals, pharmaceuticals, and stuff like that. It's like, oh, let's feel better. Um, but what we're really trying to do with hemp um, is displace industries that are harmful to the planet 
with industries that are beneficial to the planet. Um, from my standpoint, I got into it looking at sustainable building for the same reasons. Um, unfortunately, the human race has done an awful lot of damage to this planet. And I'm not saying hemp is the panacea that will solve everything, but it is a huge step in the right direction. Uh, the more places that, you know, I'm not saying there's no use for a cotton industry, but let's face it, we're using importing water to grow cotton. Um, hemp takes one ninth the amount of water to grow. Um, and the list goes on. How many plastics can we displace with hemp fiber? How many, how many hazardous products can we displace with a bio-friendly product made from hemp? Um, that's what motivates me. Mm -hmm. uh, and to see businesses grow up, uh, bootstrapping from small businesses to medium-sized businesses and eventually disrupting the larger industries. Um, and meanwhile, making sure that farmers are well-paid, making sure that people make a good living at every step in the thing. That is my personal goal and it aligns with Canada Systems goals and visions. And anything we can do to further that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and okay, so when you talk to people and you get calls that are based on that, and we don't have to share this part on public, okay? Okay. <laughs> clarify this piece because um, in the association, I really struggle with this, you know, and I'm sure that it's part of the alliance too, is how do you how do you say to these guys that are like, hey, I've got somebody that has a hundred thousand pounds or fifty thousand pounds of CBG flour that was grown last year or this year and what do we do for them or what you know how do you how do you how do you personally manage that relationship or that conversation without saying you wasted your money or you know here's potentially I guess here's potentially an opportunity to where hemp can give you it's just not even comparable to what they were sold no matter what I offer they're disappointed and they will be disappointed. And, and my heart goes out to anybody that's, you know, put their life savings into something that, that didn't work. Um, but, you know, conversely, there's an awful lot of prospectors in the gold rush to the Yukon that didn't make any money. Um, so that's the way the world works. There's fits and starts. Unfortunately, plants, orchard style grown for CBD are short, bushy with lots of nodes. Um, the best use for that would probably be biochar. They should talk to uh, Kevin Bernard, um, you know, um, recoup whatever money they can rather than paying for continued storage um, and uh, lick their wounds and move on. Well, what about plastics? You know, the plastics market can take that. Yes. Okay. Um, the plastic market is unfortunately less developed. There's less call for it. Um, yeah. But you're yeah, absolutely right. You know, there's got to be a place for those stocks and product to go eventually. Yes. Um, we have run some CBD style plants through our machine. Um, you know, the fiber is next to useless, but if you did cut it down to 10 millimeter lengths, uh, you would need a cutter for that. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there is some value that could be had that. That's a, I didn't actually even think of that. Um, and uh, likewise, for the for the tonnage, the herd that it produces is mostly not usable for any of the standard things. But it would make good garden mulch. Not, 
the herd is not useful for even out of the, I know fiber is not worth crap out of that product. The problem is that just, you know, so much of the weight, they talk about biomass. Here's, here's the thing. I, I meet people that grew for CBD and then harvested and baled whole plants. Uh-huh. So you run that through our machine. Where is the seed and the flower going to fall? Yeah. Most of it is going to fall. Seed anyway is going to fall with the herd. Um, the flower and uh, leaf will mostly fall with the fiber. So now you have a whole new problem in that you have contaminated outputs. And how much money are you going to spend to clean those outputs up to create a viable product? So while on one hand, you're absolutely right, there is a viable product there. Chances are they harvested it in such a way that it's too expensive to create those viable products. So once again, we're back to biochar, tilling it back into the soil, all of the stuff that makes people cry. But but realistically, it's where we need to be with our farmers. Quit lying to them. Quit overpromising, right? This really is what is the real value of the crop? And the real value on big scale is not the CBD or the cannabinoid market, right? It's just cannabinoid market. I can't seem to speak today either. I thought it was just Monday. (laughs) Um, So talk to me real quick. We have say 10 minutes, but I want to, I want real quick to talk about where do you see projection in the future? Where is, where is cannabis systems headed? Well, I can tell you right now that uh, when we get our alliance finished with, which I would like to wrap up by early 2022, yeah, um, I already have, um, uh, I won't say a standing order, I don't have a contract, but mm-hmm. I already have, um, uh, I'm already in talks with people about doing a cookie cutter thing, um, mm-hmm. for example, up the Eastern Cape of South Africa. I'm talking 20 to 30 machines for 2022 right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have similar discussions with people in Australia, similar discussions with people in New Zealand. Um, and if I can get a foothold in North America, I believe the same thing will occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, our projection is that within five years, we will have sold a thousand R2s. Um, and that's ramping up to about 300 units per year in year four and five. Um, and, uh, we have lots of really, really exciting plans for the future. It's not just decortication. Um, it ranges from, uh, from, uh, um, from our own version of bioplastics to, uh, hemp batteries, to graphene, to many other things. Well, like you said, it's that where the value chain really becomes powerful is when you have that end product, right? When you're creating that product and every time you're processing the value of that product just goes up and up and up. That's right. I agree with you. Um, Yes. And I love the cookie cutter idea because I think there's so much unknown and there's so little resource. People just don't know what to get and where to start. And what's even more powerful is we get these farmers excited about growing and then we get to processing or time to harvest. And they're like, now what? Yeah. Yeah. They get done with it from there and they're like, well, now what? And so I think that understanding what are each of these steps and what is the value and where do they want to step out and where do they want to be involved? It just creates more opportunity for more value, I guess, uh, our ability to pass down that value chain to the farmer. That is correct. 
Absolutely. Now, one thing I have learned uh, since joining Canna Systems, um, when, when I started, I thought farmers were going to be my customers. And uh, I still think there's a, a huge place for that. Um, you know, if you can run a combine, you can run an R2. Um, so, and it, and it is more money in the farmer's pocket. But again, we find cultural resistances to things, just like it's hard to tell a cotton farmer that he shouldn't grow cotton anymore. Um, it's difficult to tell a farmer that he should do any processing at all. They want to grow a crop and sell it because that's what they're used to doing. Um, but I am hoping that farmers will decide, especially farm co-ops, when you get you know, a bunch of farms together in a co-op, you know, similar to the way, you know, uh, uh, farm co-ops would do a grain elevator in a region, something like that. Yes. I'm really, really hoping that that's where we can open up the North American market because farmers have been, you know, stomped on by big ag for so many years. Um, and not just big ag, but big industry in general. Um, and, and, you know, they're licking their wounds from the CBD because they were promised prices for stock. And then, and the people just closed up shop and ran away and left farmers with tons in the barn. It's time to realize that farmers are hardworking, skilled people and they deserve to get some money. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Well, I'm excited to be a part of your journey and I'm excited to help make the connections. So however we can moving forward, right? However we can add add value or connect those dots with whoever those end buyers are, I wanna help support you. And with that, um, we have another meeting scheduled in August where we're gonna really talk about and provide an opportunity to do a Q&A so that people can ask questions, really dive into the ins and outs of whys and hows and um, opportunity zones. And so um, I'm excited to have you back and really offer, offer that. So I'll create that or have Elena create that and then we'll share it on our social media and you can invite as many people as you'd like. Elena sent me an email yesterday. I chose August the 5th. Perfect. I saw that. Yep. <laughs> perfect. 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 Okay. So yeah. Wonderful speaking to you as always. Yeah. And, uh, um, I'm looking forward to August and everything in between. Um, okay. and, well, however uh, I can help you, you stay in touch, stay in touch with me. And if anybody else needs help reaching out to Dave, don't hesitate to holler at me either. I can help make connections, build relationships. Um, but I also invite anybody else to come. Dave, you're at a lot of meetings and I'm really excited about that. And so um, I do invite others to attend if you'd like the opportunity to connect and learn a little bit more about what they're doing. So yeah, I'm excited. Well, the GHA has been a great, great opportunity for me. And I will continue okay. to attend as many meetings as I can. I can't do awesome. them all. There's not enough hours in the day and you're you're a busy outfit. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the purpose. I think that that's a little bit intimidating for people is we host a lot of events. We host a lot of different meetings around different content and not all of it's for you and every phase of your business. And so I think that that's what's really valuable is depending on where they're at or where you're at, you can attend. If banking isn't your issue right now, banking may not be your meeting. But if seeds are, seeds might be one you want to attend. In fact, tomorrow we have one, Dave, at um, two o'clock. It's our education series, the Q&A. And it's Bobby Ziner, Dion Oaks, um, Kyle Bingham, and Daniel Price. Daniel, uh, Kyle, and Dion are farmers, large scale. One is large scale, at, like personal farm, private farm. One is the largest 
wine producer, hemp producer, and something else, um, but privately owned. And then one is a small scale organic, like very small, private, but all over the globe. You know, he's set up systems all over. And then Bobby Ziner is from Canada and does AI, um, the AI tech. And so they're just kind of going to talk about the state of the industry, future of the industry, so forth. Okay. Um, I will try and attend that one. I think I already registered, but I get messed up in your registration process. If I could make any suggestion, um, let's look into that because it's happened two or three times when I thought I was registered and then I went to join and I wasn't. And by that time, to take the time to fill out that long form, the meeting's half over before I could get in. Yes, I agree with you 100%. So I'm in the process of trying to get software and really it's a, I need a sponsor or some funding. It's about $15,000 that I need up front, um, but it maps this out and gives me so much opportunity. So I've signed an agreement on it where we can start building it out and creating it on the backside. And then um, it's kind of a, the other cool part that I'm really excited about is it allows me to create channels with other organizations So National Hemp Association, say, for example, could have access to some content or share content back and forth um, where we can share like reports and, yeah, really create this collaborative uh, database. And so that will drastically change the registration, login, member benefits. I mean, you'll see massive difference. And so that I'm hoping will roll out in the next couple of months, but just heads up. Okay, very cool. Uh, Mandy, I'm going to send you a copy of that PowerPoint. So if you need any information for reference or just my contact info, it's all there on a nice slide. Uh, And uh, yeah, Um, I'll try and get on that meeting tomorrow. I'm not actually sure what my calendar says. Well, and if you can't, no big deal, right? It's just, I think there'll be a good, um, be able to put some perspective to the large and small scale farms. Yeah. Yeah. Scalability looks like for the industry. Um, and of course, Bobby's going to play to the AI of scale. Yes, of course. You know, yeah. um, but I think where I'm interested is the gentleman involved. Um, one runs a, a hemp association in Texas, and Dion provides already for some of the large fiber buyers like Patagonia. Is Dion from Alberta? No, he's from Colorado. Oh, okay. So, there yeah. There is a Dion in a similar position in Alberta. So. Oh, funny. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, like I said, I'll try and get on that. I'm quite familiar with Bob Ziner. He and Bruce, our CEO, um, have known each other for years. I've had a couple of emails back and forth. And he's actually a, you know, while it doesn't suit his own intentions, he's a big booster for Canna Systems and the R2. He's been a good ally, even though his vision is, is huge and ours is small. They both have a place. Well, and I think that's where it's so powerful to be in alignment with someone like him. And I'm not saying he is the person necessarily, but a big scale and small scale work very well next to each other because big scale is not going to be for everybody. And it gets a great opportunity to serve a community that he can't. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, thank you very much. I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Thanks, Mandy. See you later. Bye for now.